This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. The Bible wasn't written in order for you to get all the deep dive into each miracle. It was written to show you Jesus' greatest hits so that you you would believe that he was the Son of God. Well, our show is exploring the humanity of it and just how tender and, and individual and intimate and specific Jesus was with each of the people that he healed. This is a podcast about two things, helping those with urgent needs in front of us today and improving the road so others can walk it safely in the future. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, where we're learning how to do good better, whether in everyday interactions or complex humanitarian challenges. I'm Kent Annan, co-director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. I'm joined by our producer, Laura Finch, and my colleague, Jamie Goodwin, who will be part of this conversation today. Uh, And today we're thrilled because we're joined by Dallas Jenkins. Uh, Dallas is a creator of The Chosen, a multi-season TV series telling the story of Jesus that has been viewed 374 million times around the world. Their Christmas special... Christmas with the Chosen, the Messengers, is in theaters nationwide through December 10th. Dallas, welcome. We're so glad you're with us. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Dallas, as I've been watching The Chosen with my wife and two children, we're really enjoying it. And I can't help myself as someone who works in the humanitarian field. I pay extra attention during the healing scenes. And just to start off and tying in with the theme of what we do here um, as you've written and shot the healing scenes, have there been any new ways that you've seen the healing stories, any new thoughts about how Jesus did physical good in people's lives? Absolutely. And that's a great question. And I hope you also noticed uh, at the beginning of season two, uh, we actually meet the, uh, the, the, the criminal who caused the parable of the Good Samaritan. We mm-hmm. uh, kind of de- develop this backstory and, and Jesus actually encounters the man who caused uh, the Jewish person to, to need a good Samaritan. So we thought that was a, uh, one of the things that the chosen likes to do is take some of these stories and go even deeper. And I think in the process of going deeper, the process of finding some of these backstories, the cultural context, the historical context, and then of course, really exploring the human context uh, by one of the things that I think makes the chosen what is it, what it is, is that in most uh, Bible stories, uh, in most Jesus movies and miniseries, you're seeing everything from Jesus's point of view. Mm-hmm. Well, what we try to do is get in the minds of those who were actually impacted by Jesus, and we show maybe what led to their need for the miracle. And by doing that, we hope that you as the viewer can identify with their problem, can connect with their question, connect with their pain, their suffering. And then as a result, you can connect with the solution and the answer to their problem, even if that solution isn't necessarily a physical one. That said, when it comes to the healing scenes that we've portrayed in The Chosen, uh, if, you, if you've seen them all, you'll see there's something different about each one. Uh, and we treat it differently when it comes to the music. We treat it differently when it comes to the filming of it, the, the tone. Some, some of them are very serious. Some of them are lighthearted. Mm-hmm. You know, we show a, a moment in season one when Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. And there's humor in the sense that she's recovered so quickly and then immediately gets about her business of being a Jewish mom and feeding everybody. <laughs> and we saw that in the scriptures. The scriptures say she immediately got up and started serving. We thought, yeah, that's a Jewish mom. Let's let's lean into that. Let's 
let's find, let's mine the humor of that moment. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it comes to the healing of the man with leprosy in season one, uh, episode six, um, that's obviously very serious and very sad and, um, and it impacts people who are watching. So this is a long answer to your question, but ultimately by exploring the people around the miracle, not only the people being received, uh, receiving the miracle and not only Jesus give it, doing the miracle, but the people who are watching and how it impacts them. That's been the biggest thing for me is, uh, in, in, in portraying it and doing the research is realizing these weren't just quick miracles that took place that you know, can be summed up in a single Bible verse. Uh, the Bible wasn't written in order for you to get all the deep dive into each miracle. It was written to show you Jesus's greatest hit so that, you know, you would believe that he was the son of God. Hmm. Well, our show is exploring the humanity of it and just how tender and, and individual and intimate and specific Jesus was with each of the people that he healed. Uh, that has been, I think, the most intriguing thing for me and the thing that I think has translated the most in the show is that people can think of specific scenes and they come up to me and say, that scene changed my life. And the reason was because it felt like Jesus was talking to me. And uh, when you can get to that place where you can truly connect with uh, Jesus on earth 2,000 years ago, the same way that you can connect to him today, even if it's not the exact same situation or the exact same physical healing, um, then you can truly... Uh, have access to the love and the grace of the creator of the universe. I love, uh, sorry to jump in with a quick follow-up, but I, in the first episode of the first season, I really liked how you did that. And I didn't have a framework for it till you just explained it, which of course you've thought it through really carefully. Um, as we see the exorcism scene with Mary Magdalene, but then you're tying it into some trauma she faced of losing her, uh, her father at a young age of uh, being sexually assaulted. And I thought that was really powerful as well. And I think uh, I like how you just explain that. And then that we're identifying not with just with Jesus as healer, but with even more so the humanity of those being healed. So yeah, thanks for that explanation. That's great. I appreciate that. And, and, and I think, uh, I think you're, you're exactly right is um, I, in, in many ways, we can identify with the main characters of the chosen more than we can identify with, with other potential Jesus uh, projects because we can't really truly relate to Jesus in the in the purest sense because he's the sinless Son of God and we are not. But we can relate to the people who were living in a time of difficulty and a, people who had very human struggles, and uh, that's the whole point of the show. Dallas, hi! I just want to echo and say thank you so much for being here. My um family had a staycation last summer and all we did was binge watch your show. (laughs) Yeah. My son told me at one point, he said four episodes in one day, mom, that's all we can do. So (laughs) we're we're loving it. Um, I want to just ask one more follow-up question about those healing scenes. The one that as you were talking, I am remembering was when um, there were these really poignant shots of long lines of people that Jesus was healing and he was there all day and he came back after dark and um, the disciples were arguing about something and he just stumbled by and he was so uh, tired and just kind of walked through to his tent and and whatever whatever the disciples were were talking about around the fire they just got really quiet uh, and and it's exactly what you just described that um, that sort of 
the dissonance that you feel or the tension between, you know, who Jesus is and, and how it's received or perceived by the people that are around him. Um, I just didn't know if you had anything else you wanted to say about, you know, why this focus on healing? Why so much about, you know, from our perspective, it's really important, the humanitarian aspect of what of what Jesus did and, and how it was perceived by his community. Well, I would... I don't know if I, I'm, I don't know if I would say I disagree with what you're saying. I just want to put a different um, angle on it, which is I don't know that the show is necessarily having an abnormal emphasis on healing. In fact, I would say we probably, when it comes to the percentage of screen time that we give to physical healing compared to the rest of the show, it's probably actually less than your average Jesus project. Because when oftentimes mm-hmm. you see a Jesus movie, it's just about miracle to miracle, Bible verse to Bible verse, and then we get to the crucifixion and resurrection. Um, it's it's similar to how you'd read the Bible. But if you think about it, we're spending actually a lot more time developing the backstories and the cultural context and the historical context of these stories so that when you get to that one specific healing moment, it actually is more impactful and, and feels more resonant mm-hmm. than if we were just kind of going multiple healings per episode. Oh, okay. But um, so I, yeah, I, and I think what you're responding to is I think it feels like there's an emphasis on healing because of the fact that when we do do it, there's actually so much context to that particular healing. You might not even notice the fact that we're only doing one healing every couple episodes, you sure. know? Uh, but it just feels bigger because we're really exploring the backstory of the person who's being healed. So uh, in episode three of season two, as you're referring to, um, what's funny about that episode is you don't actually see a single healing. Um, the, the episode <laughs> yeah. is based on Matthew 4.24 when it says that Jesus went into these towns and healed so many people. And so we have this, we have this uh, episode where you see the line of people waiting to be healed. And at one point, you see two people who've been healed. They kind of rush past, and and Matthew and Philip, the disciples, see them and say, Matthew's trying to write down what their healings were, and because uh, he's trying to keep track of everything. And and uh, but then they go backstage, as we call it, while Jesus is out there healing dozens and dozens and dozens of people. The disciples are backstage because they're taking turns helping him, and they're getting rest and they're getting food, and um, and they're talking about what it's like to follow the Messiah and what this means and. And uh, and then at the end of the episode, they're arguing uh, very intensely and raising their voices and and getting in each other's faces. And right at the pitch of it, the the the, the climax of it, Jesus is done. And it's nighttime at this point. He's been healing all day, and he walks past. He's got blood on him. He's got sweat pouring uh, from his body everywhere. And he can he's, he's he can barely hold himself up as he's trying to take off his sandals. Yeah. And and they just there. And all he says when he walks by is good night. <laughs> and that is enough to remind them of what they're focusing on and what's wrong with what they're focusing on. And so many people who've seen that episode talk about how they felt like that was a statement to them, to the church, uh, that we focus on the wrong things. But I think what's interesting about that to your question and to our conversation is you don't actually see a healing in that yeah, in that episode. Interesting. You're but right. it probably feels like <laughs> the most healing-centric episode you've ever seen. Because what we're trying to say is, look, oh, and well, there's another part in the episode where a crippled person, a disciple of Jesus, little James, the actor who plays little James, mm-hmm. Jordan Ross, is uh, has cerebral palsy and walks with a very severe limp and is hunched over. And uh, when we cast him, we realized, you know what? We're going to have to explore the theological implications of uh, an actor portraying little James who will not be healed. 
And one of the reasons why I think that's important is because there are people listening right now. There are someone listening right now who's thinking, this is all wonderful, but I have a malady that hasn't been healed and it may not be healed. And what does that mean? Where is Jesus in that? If he was healing all these people 2,000 years ago and he's capable of healing me now, why doesn't he do it? And we explore that in The Chosen. And we're actually going to explore that very specifically in season three next year when little James is sent by Jesus as part of the other disciples two by two. There's a scene in, in, in the Gospels when Jesus sends out the disciples two by two to heal people. And little James goes to Jesus and goes, okay, uh, I got to ask, um, you're sending me to go heal people. Um, why aren't I healed? Yeah. And we explore that. So again, I'm giving very long answers to your questions and I don't intend to, but these are such important issues and I appreciate you bringing them up. But the point is, I don't actually think you'll see, you've seen even in the first two seasons, a lot of specific healings. But what you have seen is a, a, a depth and an exploration of what each healing actually represents mm-hmm. and what the spiritual nature of the healing is that Jesus is doing because he's never just doing it to make you feel better. Right. He's doing it to prove his godness, to prove um, that, uh, to, to maybe if that person needs that healing to be drawn closer to him, then maybe Jesus will do that. Maybe Jesus won't do it sometimes because he doesn't want you to be reliant on a healing to be drawn mm-hmm. closer to him. All these things we're going to explore in the seven seasons of the show. That's great. Well done. They tie in so well in these topics, what we do and and what we work on with our graduate students here at Wheaton, kind of thinking about compassion fatigue is, you know, the phrase we use sometimes with Jesus walking by in that way. And then um, and then also having to deal with as we step into these, you know, someone who's listening right now, as you said, or someone who watches the show or the kind of context we step into where not everybody is healed and and grateful you're stepping into those hard questions. Another thing that we talk about with our students is storytelling. And so even taking a, a tiny step back, you're such a good storyteller. You and your team are such good storytellers in, in nonprofit work. Storytelling is so important, not specifically for the chosen, but just in general, what do you think are the keys to telling a story well? And if someone's wanting to become a better storyteller, they're getting to listen to you, who's a master storyteller. What would you say are keys to to good storytelling? Well, I mean, we could have an entire series (laughs) of podcasts (laughs) on on that, but I would say um, when it comes to the chosen, and I think this is a a good technique in general because we borrowed it from the creators of the TV show, The Wire, uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. something that most Christians would watch, but I, uh, I, it was a big influence on The Chosen in many ways because, um, well, for, for lots of reasons and the way they approach storytelling. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that the creator of The Wire said, uh, it was this popular HBO show um, about the, the drug war and the, the policing in Baltimore, mm-hmm. is he said, we, he used this phrase, we write to the end. So what he means by that is he says, when we start the show, we know where the final season is going to go. When we talk about the first season, we know where the first season is going to go and where it's going to end. And then we know where each episode is going to end. And then we write to that point, as opposed to writing from the beginning, we write to the end. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge, huge part of The Chosen. We start with, okay, we know that season seven is going to be the resurrection season. Um, And, Uh, the aftermath of that and what that means to these people. Um, We know that uh, we want to write our seasons 
towards that end so that when we get to that point, it's as impactful as humanly possible. Uh, we, we know where Simon Peter, for example, goes, where you know he denies Jesus three times uh, and faces immense guilt. We know Judas, for example, is going to commit suicide out of the guilt for his betrayal of Jesus. We know that uh, John, the disciple, becomes the, known as the beloved disciple. Um, so we, we know those things. And we also know some things from the book of Acts that, that we're not covering in The Chosen, but we know where these characters go. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's work our way backwards. What's going to make that moment with Simon Peter that much more impactful? What's mm-hmm. going to make that moment when Judas commits suicide gut-wrenching? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a, a good show if, if we're rooting for that to happen because we hate Judas so much. Mm-hmm. What I think will make it interesting and compelling and real and connective and relatable is if we are desperately, even though we know the story, desperately against all hope, hoping Judas changes his mind. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes time to the to the suicide, we're devastated because of it. Um, Jesus on the cross, Jesus resurrecting, all of those moments. How do we, in the preceding seasons, set you up for that point so that it changes your life when you get there. And then of course, in the journey along the way, can we sprinkle in moments and, and scenes that will also have impact for you? Then we get to season one and we know season one is going to end with the meeting of the uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, when he reveals that he's the Messiah publicly for the first time. Um, so and then we write backwards from there. Okay. So that was the first time he revealed himself publicly. What are the stakes for everybody in that moment? What's, what are the stakes for the Samaritan woman? So when they even end that episode, you meet, you meet the Samaritan woman at the very beginning of the scene. I'm sorry, at the beginning of the episode. Um, so that by the time you see her again, uh, it's more meaningful. And then episode one of season one, our very first episode, we knew it was going to end with this redemption of Mary Magdalene uh, because we knew that she'd been redeemed from seven demons, as it says in scriptures. All right, well, how do we make that a compelling uh, episode. How do we make make sure that the ending uh, really impacts people? So I think one of the reasons why you've probably heard or experienced yourself, people talk about specific scenes as being impactful is because we write to those scenes um, with them in mind, wanting them to be impactful. And I think that's a good principle for storytelling in general. That's a great principle. Thanks. That was really good. Um, Jamie studied a lot of philanthropy and I know she's really appreciated your uh, like the model, which has been for good reason, kind of well celebrated. But Jamie, you have any uh, a question for Dallas about sort of how how this has been financially possible to do the chosen? Yeah, absolutely. You know, on top of this great show, you have this record-setting campaign. You know, more than ten million from nineteen thousand donors. Last time I I read about it. Tell us more about that process. This equity crowdfunding. Uh, what have you learned? What what what? originally helped you form the idea and and do things so differently? Well, yeah, our theme verse for our whole project and for our whole team is Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, From the beginning, the show has been new. Um, You know, the the way it was financed through this crowdfunding effort. Season one was, uh, yes, you're correct. It generated $10 million in crowdfunding from 19,000 people around the world who saw a short film that I did on my friend's farm in Illinois, 20 minutes from my house. I did it for my church's Christmas Eve service. I was coming off of a big career failure. Uh, my movie had bombed at the box office, and I was left wondering and uh, if I ever was going to make another movie or show again. <laughs> and in that moment, um, God you know, revealed to me through a friend who was compelled to tell me, it's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. And that truth changed my life, and that truth defines everything about our show. 
our job is to provide the five loaves and two fish to make them as good and healthy as they can be. If God wants to feed 5,000 with them, that's up to him. If he doesn't, as long as we provided fish and loaves that he deemed worthy of acceptance, the transaction is over on our part. We're just trying to listen as best we can. So the crowdfunding happened and we were able to finance season one with this crowdfunding, these investors who got involved. And then from that point on, we were uh, when we released season one, we were charging people money to see it. And it was on an app that was tough to find, tough to figure out. <clears throat> And it just wasn't going very well. And so we decided when the pandemic hit to make it free, uh, to make the show free for a couple weeks. Uh, we knew we'd lose money by making it free, but we thought, you know what, at least it's a goodwill gesture and it will bring pe- more people to the show. And uh, and then uh, let's offer people the opportunity to pay for it if they want. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called paying it forward. And mm-hmm. so uh, you don't have to pay, but if you want to pay, it allows us to make it free for everybody else because streams cost money. Uh, the, the, this podcast that that you're listening to right now actually costs money to post. Uh, every time someone streams it, it actually costs a little bit, and and uh, and and so we knew that people streaming it all over the world for free would cost us money. But we said, you know what? If you want to pay for it, you can, and it will also go towards financing future episodes and seasons. And that night that we made it free, our income quadrupled. The next <laughs> night, it quintupled. And uh, we realized, uh, you know, from now until Jesus comes, this show is going to be free and uh, people can pay for it (laughs) if they want. So as to what we've learned about it, um, you know, we're not trying to necessarily learn uh, lessons, financial lessons, business lessons. Uh, You know, for all we know, this show is an outlier and we don't know what Jesus will do with other projects. But for Mm -hmm. our project, we've just learned, all right, this surrender piece that we're on, this whole idea of um, just provide the loaves and fish and let God worry about the multiplication. We'll do our part. And even in the multiplying, you know, Jesus, when it came time to, to, to multiply the loaves and fish, he did that, but then he had the disciples handed out. He still had them participate in the distribution of it. So we're still participating in doing our part. But the fact that, you know, the, the show is becoming, by most measurements, one of the biggest shows in the world, and the fact that our Christmas special right now is number one in the box office, mm-hmm. uh, those, are, those are genuinely, and I mean this genuinely, it, it, it really doesn't matter when it comes to the numbers. It, it, it's fun. We, we, we look at it. Uh, we, 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 we share it with each other and go, isn't this cool? The fans seem to get excited about it. So we let them know. But internally, it's not at all what motivates us. And that's what we've really learned is to really be motivated solely by making sure that when we provide our five loaves and fish, God says, good, thank you. That's great. Well done. And, and that definitely translates over into humanitarian nonprofit NGO work of that, that being faithful, being wise and being savvy, but being faithful and, and being creative and appreciate how you've, how you've modeled that. So now we transition, we do this every podcast. We'll ask you five quick questions. And then after that, ask sort of a, a final question about the Christmas special and hope. But uh, Jamie and I will just rotate back and forth with quick questions to get to know you a little bit more and get some rec- recommendations for all of us. So is the uh, question number one is, is there a book you're currently reading? Huh. Oh, that's a good question. Um, yes. And if it's not I'm a actually, book, feel free to talk about a, you know article or something, but yeah. Is it, we'd love oh, to no, no, it's always a book. I'm, it's always a book. My end table, uh, my end table actually is actually stacked with books that I'm working my way through and the whole library. I'm an obsessive book reader right now. I'm reading a book on the history of HBO. Um, mm. it's, uh, there's HBO, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's got its issues uh, <laughs> with what I would watch personally as a believer, but, um, it's one of the most disruptive media entities in history. Mm. And, um, and so there's so much to be learned from that. 
and uh, especially as the chosen is growing and we have other opportunities, other projects uh, that we're you know we're doing something. We're you know we have our own streaming app. So I'm right now reading the history of HBO and seeing just literally the inside story of how it started back in the '70s um, with like just a couple hundred people in New York who had a subscription to it, and they were it was done as a solution to um, to the fact that they didn't get good. A reception in New York because of all the skyscrapers, and so cable was kind of uh, you know a response to that problem, and uh, I just love kind of digging into that because it it's, it's very much what the chosen is. We're we're oftentimes responding to uh, problems and, uh, and and trying to give people something, whether it's um, you know the technology or whether it's the the spiritual side of things. Um, we're very much kind of getting our, our our hands and feet dirty. And uh, so hearing about the history of other projects that have done the same thing is, is fascinating. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Dallas, what's a book um, that you've given away more than others over the years? Oh, these are such great questions. These are my favorites because I'm, I'm actually a big, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually a big uh, gift giver of books because okay. uh, when, I, when I read something that I'm excited about, um, I would say it's a tie with, um, let's see, yeah, two Two books are, are are at the top of of ones I've most most given away. One is called um, "The Power of Habit," and uh, it's neither one of these books actually are are, are Christian books. Um, even though I've given away a lot of Christian books as well, but these two in particular, I think, are so go so well with your own spiritual journey because um, you know we get so much from the Bible and we get so much from our church. But then there's there are certain uh, systems that 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 do work that can help even enhance the the impact of your spiritual walk. Yeah. Um, and so The Power of Habit is an extraordinary book. I've probably given this away more than any, anyone, including to like couples that my wife and I have counseled, married Funny. couples. It's because it's, it addresses how addiction is actually far more diagnosed than it's actually truly happening. What we oftentimes think of as addiction is typically just really bad habits, some of which mm-hmm. are hard to control, but we need to replace them with new habits. And, uh, and that's true in our spiritual walk as well. And so that book is just extraordinary from that standpoint. And then another book is called The Brain That Changes Itself. And uh, this is a book I stumbled upon like 15 years ago. And it's about the recent discoveries that they've made about the brain, that the brain is actually plastic. Uh, it's called neuroplasticity. When for centuries, they assumed the brain was hardwired and that if you had an issue, like you had a stroke, well, there's nothing about there's nothing you can do. That part of your brain no longer works, and they've discovered that actually other parts of your brain will 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 come over and actually take up pick up the slack. Uh, and they're they're now teaching uh, you know stroke victims instead of strengthening the other parts of their body that, like they used to do. They're now working on strengthening the part that experienced the stroke. And it takes a lot of time, but they realize that over time the brain can adjust. Anyway, there's a lot about in it about autism. There's a lot in it about uh, phantom pain. And uh, it's just a fascinating book. And because I've become so immersed in the special needs community, because I have a family member who's on the autism spectrum, okay. um, I have a lot of family members, extended family members who are autistic, um, who have brain issues. Um, I've given that book out to so many of them because it talks about things you can do to actually um, make your life more manageable and make your brain more manageable. And that has a lot to do with our portrayal of Matthew, the tax collector and the chosen, who we portray as being mm-hmm. on the autism spectrum. Oh, so yes. my understanding of psychology and of the brain and of uh, of of mental acuity or lack thereof has been a huge influence on the chosen, not just with Matthew, but just on our understanding of human behavior. And I think one of the reasons why people 
who watch the show talk the most about the humanity of it. They probably pick, m- mention that more than any other factor. Mm-hmm. It really does have a lot to do with, with some of the books that I'm kind of talking to you about right now, but understanding how the brain works, understanding how our minds work under, because I think that that actually is oftentimes lacking in churches and in the Christian um, health space is we talk a lot about, you know, physical healing uh, that 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 God sometimes does, but sometimes he doesn't. So you go to the doctor for that. Uh, you go to the hospital for that. You get surgery for that. Um, and we talk about, you know, some of our spiritual gifts, but how do we apply those spiritual gifts? Well, there's no real prescription in scripture other than, you know, be a servant and die to yourself. Well, how do you do that? What does that look like? Sometimes we need some some uh, some help uh, some help on that and what do you do when you when you've got a temper how do you address that well prayer is nice and it does work but sometimes uh, in the middle of a of a of an outburst you know prayer is not the first thing that comes to your mind can you have other tools that will help ease your mind so that you can be even more open to what god might have for you and vice versa so Boy, you, you get me talking. I'm, I, it's these are, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I don't mean I don't mean to, I don't mean to get so deep into it, but I love I love I love talking about these. I, yeah, I these great ideas are great, and I love I mean just on their own. But then love hearing how you're tying this into your understanding of scripture into storytelling. You know, it's fantastic, Dallas. Uh, third question: Is there a product you're using right now that you're especially enjoying at the moment? So this doesn't have to be a serious question, but you know, an app, a productivity method a travel product, anything that you, you're finding helpful that, that we might find helpful too? Yeah. So it's funny. Once a week on social media, I'll give some sort of life hack, some sort of tip, oh, um, right. you know, everything from lemon water, you know, as a, as a game changer to <laughs> the need for, for men to, to use face lotion, even though they don't normally and how great it is for men. I think I've been following you on Twitter. All right, I'm going to sign up. My wife will be grateful. I'll start getting using. <laughs> yeah, I'm not actually on Twitter. I'm, oh, I'm not on sorry. Twitter, right. but I'm on Instagram and, and Facebook. Instagram. All right. And so, yeah. If you follow me on f- Facebook or Instagram, you'll see hash. In fact, you could probably just do a search for hashtag Dallas tips. It's all one word and uh, you'll, you'll see a few of them. And w- one of the biggest ones is foam roller um, is, is an absolute game changer. If you have back issues, um, neck issues, anything like that, I'm a c- complete obsessive about it. And uh, it is radically, I mean, I had back pain for 20 years and lower back pain and uh, start, starting to foam roll my glutes uh, changed everything. And um I've, I've, my family, we all you know, were foam roller, foam roller people and cast and crew on the chosen. I'll see them on set and they'll start like, you know, cause we're on our feet for 12 hours a day and <laughs> crew is carrying heavy equipment. You'll see them stretching their back and I'll go, okay, stop. Give me your address. I'm sending you a foam roller right now. <laughs> and, uh, and every time they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't, I feel so much better. My back pain. It's great. So, uh, foam roller, uh, get one and, uh, and, and embrace it and look into how to use it. And uh, it's a game changer. It's totally cheap. <laughs> my husband's going to feel so vindicated because he has one and he uses it all the time. <laughs> and I always roll my eyes at him. So now I know yeah, it's real. Go from rolling, rolling your eyes to rolling your glutes. <laughs> okay, there it is. <laughs> There's a quote. Well, uh, I think I know what your favorite uh, show is right now, but tell me about um, another highlight or something you love that you listen to, music, or uh, a show uh, that, you, that you're watching. Well, my wife and I are uh, 
just finished season two of Ted Lasso, um, which we're huge fans of. Yeah. Um, we're, um, I mean, we binge watch shows regularly. We're, we're now currently in the uh, latest season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which we're huge fans of. So great. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then we're in the final season of binging Peaky Blinders. Now, okay. again, I always want to be clear, especially when I'm doing a Christian podcast, these are not, these are shows are not for everybody. And uh, Peaky Blinders, uh, they, they, they have a, proclivity for language that uh, we don't allow our kids to say. However, um, there's uh, one of the great things about that show is it's actually got a similar vibe to The Chosen. It's a period piece, but it uses, you know, modern music and and uh, filmmaking techniques to kind of bring you into that world. So we love those shows. As to something I'd actually recommend, um, you know, right now I, I listen to a podcast. Every, it's the only podcast that I listen to every day. Um, I mean, I, and I literally find time at some point and sometimes I fall behind, but I catch up, uh, Scott Adams, he's the creator of Dilbert and, uh, he's the, the, the comic strip. And, uh, he is a, an extraordinary genius who talks a lot about persuasion. He talks a lot about, um, the power of thinking rationally and how so often we, and I think this is absolutely true of Christians as much as anybody, um, where we get into our biases, our confirmation bias, we get into um, making assumptions, we believe every story we hear, and then you go on social media and we we propagate all these things. We, we're not able to listen to each other. Um, you know, we, I experience it with The Chosen all the time. Uh, you see fans or critics of The Chosen uh, saying and you know, arguing with each other about their different religious backgrounds or arguing about something they found offensive in the show. And uh, they just don't see things clearly. And Scott Adams' podcast, it's called Coffee with Scott Adams, um, is really, if you start to listen to that on a semi-regular basis, you will think differently. And he's not a Christian, but he even actually says, he goes, I'm not a believer. I wish I was. But uh, he goes, I do believe that uh, believers uh, have have figured this out more than anyone in terms of how they approach the world. But it's just an extraordinary way to learn how to listen and how to, and, and how to persuade when you are, when you do have something that you're truthful about. And uh, all of these things help so much. Now, let me close by saying this about, about what I read and listen to. The thing, the book I read every day, of course, is the Bible. Um, well, I shouldn't say every day. That's a lie. I try to every day. I don't always do it. And I need to get better at it. Um, uh, it's one of my one of my struggles is Bible reading and prayer, making it a discipline and a habit as opposed to making it something that I try to find time for when I can. But um, but of course, uh, the Bible is the primary and core and foundational source of all truth and inspiration. And all these other things that I'm talking to you about are just window dressing to help make your your house better. On top of it. Yeah, thanks. So those are great. So one more of these kind of regular questions we ask, and then we'll ask you a final question. So the penultimate question here, what do you do? I mean, this actually ties into what we were talking about earlier about, you know, Jesus having that day of healing and walking back exhausted. But, you know, you have a demanding job. I'm sure it's been a, a whirlwind these last uh, couple of years. What do you do to re- renew your body and mind? Uh, not enough. I, I, I don't. Um, it's, 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 it's my, it's, it's a problem actually. Um, I'm, I'm always very authentic as much as I can be when I, when I talk publicly. Um, I don't rest enough. I don't renew myself enough. I don't take a break enough. I don't Sabbath enough. Um, it's something I'm working on. Um, my, a, a very generous couple, uh, who are fans of the chosen for a year and a half have been saying you and your family need to get away and we want to send you somewhere and you need to not worry about anything. You need rest. You need to pour into your family. You need to get a break. And it took a year and a half for us to finally say, okay, we got a chance to go to Hawaii last week. 
uh, we were gone, but even that was only for, for about four or five days. Um, and, uh, we got another chance coming up to, to, to get a vacation, but, um, I need to do it more, but I think w- when I do do it, it typically means, um, you know, going out to eat with my family. I mean, that is my mm-hmm. favorite thing in the world to do. And, uh, it's not as long as I should. I mean, it's, it, it, of course, going out to eat with your family takes about an hour and, uh, I need to do more of those kinds of things. But, uh, I think it's very important when, when dealing with the chosen, which has become its own massive beast Mm -hmm. that when I do renew or myself, it's with my family. It can't be, Mm -hmm. all right, I need a break from the show and from my family. I'm going to go off by myself for a couple of days. No, it's always, I'm doing this with my family because we're going through this together. So uh, when when your family is your source of renewal and and, and re-energizing, that's an awesome place to be. And I think that's something we should all strive for. Indeed. Thanks. Well, as we wrap up with one more question here, Dallas, just want to say thanks. And even as you answered that question, really appreciate your being authentic about, you know, struggles and failures along the way to this and still practices to, to work on. I think I identify with, with that. All of us identify with that. So appreciate as you tell yeah. this great story of Jesus and, and then the healing that he did and the healing that we all still continue to need to appreciate it. So last question, especially as, the uh, the chosen Christmas special is out right now. One of our colleagues here on the team just went and saw it two days ago. I know the rest of us are planning to see it soon with our families and looking forward to it. Um, and letting people know you can get more information of where you can see this. Whoever's listening at thechosen.tv forward slash Christmas, um, we're excited about this and maybe especially rooting it in the Christmas special that you have coming up. What is your hope? Uh, as you look at the months and year ahead, and can define that as broadly thinking about people who are watching the show, thinking about the country, thinking about the world. But, you know, I, I think hope is this theme that we see in your work, and it's a gritty hope, and that we see in, in this Christmas special that's coming out. But what, what is the hope that's, that's sustaining you right now as you think about uh, the road ahead? Well, I mean this genuinely. I, I am going to draw from our Christmas special. It's not a crass promo for it. It's because it, it, everything that we do, including this Christmas special, comes from something that we really want to say or we believe God really wants said about um, him. And this Christmas special came from a desire um, to really uh, c- c- compel all of us to share to be the messengers. The name of the Christmas special is Christmas with the Chosen, the Messengers. And it's it's a Christmas concert with a special episode of the Chosen. So there's a dozen music artists from Phil Wickham to Maverick City Music, Forking and Country, Matt Marr, We the Kingdom, Kane, uh, you know, all these great artists who are singing Christmas songs. And uh, and then there's this brand new special episode of The Chosen, which is about the birth of Christ from the perspective of Mary and Joseph. Mm-hmm. And there's a phrase that uh, someone uttered in, in the short film that started the whole uh, show back in the day when I did that for my church, a shepherd. Um, we're filming this scene about the birth of Christ and the shepherds arrive and they're holding the baby. And, and one of the shepherds ad-libbed a line. Um, there wasn't actually any dialogue in the scene. We were just doing it in slow motion and with music. And he says, uh, I have to go. People must know. People must know. And Joseph uh, responds by saying, people must know. They just ad-libbed it in the moment. And I remember thinking, my goodness, that is great. Uh, three words that are kind of sum up our entire 
uh, you know, motivation with our, with evangelism. And so this Chris, this Christmas special, we, we bring that back into the episode again with this new, with this new episode and the artists actually talk about in the special, what people must know. And, uh, at the end of the Christmas special, we've talked about the messengers, uh, cause they called the angels messengers back then. And, uh, the messengers brought the news to Mary and Joseph about the Christ child. They then brought the news to the shepherds. The shepherds were the messengers to the people. And, um, and now the, the, at the end of the special, we have a guy who's giving a monologue and he ends it by saying, we're the messengers now. And uh, that's a tremendous um, uh, hope and encouragement and challenge that is true more than ever in this Christmas season, but it's true all the time. Um, it's true forever. People must know that the God of the universe became one of us and dwelt among us and knows what it's like to be a human being. And because of that, we can not only access salvation, but we can access um, a truth of how we are to be, how we are to treat each other, how we are to live in the best uh, part of ourselves, of humanity, because we are such a flawed race and because we cannot do good without the help of, of our Savior. Um, people must know that. A great way to end. Dallas, thank you for the work that you're doing, that you're generously sharing with all of us. And thanks for generously sharing this time of conversation. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this conversation with Dallas Jenkins uh, about The Chosen. And hope you enjoyed it as much as me. Um, I'm really enjoying watching the show with my family and loved getting to hear some of the process of how Dallas thinks these things through and how he's you know trying to do good better in the sense of becoming a better storyteller and thinking of creative models of how to get the story out there and thinking through motivation deeply and being you know he's obviously really curious and understanding the brain and psychology and other influences that can help him tell this uh, these stories from the gospels um, in really compelling and meaningful ways for all of us who watch them. So um, grateful for Dallas for his good work, grateful for you for joining us as we continue along this journey of seeking to do good better. Thanks for listening to the Better Samaritan podcast. You can find links to the things we mentioned during this episode in the show notes. And special thanks to The Brilliance for this fantastic music theme. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. You can also follow the Humanitarian Disaster Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll see you next week as we continue learning to do good better.